Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, the Word of God says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, since we're only doing two verses today, I'd like to read these again and just have us all say them in unison. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, together, ready? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to uh, gather in your name. We look to this scripture with anticipation. These words that we read have given life, eternal life, to countless souls over the years. And they teach us not only about the salvation that's available to the sinner, but the salvation you've provided to the saint. And Lord, we ask that through the message today, you would speak to each heart. Lord, if there's one here today that's just not sure about their salvation, I pray today would be the day they nail that down, that they would sense your love, they would see the availability of the gospel, the simplicity of it, and they would believe it with all their heart. Lord, for those who are saved here this morning, they have been born again, that we, Lord, would just be reminded of the precious gift you've given us called salvation. Eternal life is just that. It's life for eternity with you in heaven. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. And Lord, who wouldn't want that? So I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God would go far beyond what I say and speak to each heart as only he can. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. It's beautiful, ladies. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do lead us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lead us. And we pray that you would guide us through this message today. And may this not just be time spent, uh, but may we be changed. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we turn to the message today, and we begin a lesson series entitled, The Beauty of Salvation. I don't do series very often as far as just one Sunday after another. Maybe a couple times a year I'll do this as the Lord leads. But as I was praying about uh, harvest days and this fall, I really sensed the Lord leading this direction. You know, salvation is a wonderful thing. Uh, Human words can't really do it justice think about the fact that you can be eternally happy you can live with no suffering no pain no sorrow no mortgage no taxes no politics Uh, and god has prepared a place in heaven for those who choose him and who trust Him. It doesn't get much better than that. 
And I think sometimes we understand the fact of salvation, but today I want to talk about the beauty of salvation. Salvation is beautiful. And the way we're going to discover the beauty of salvation over the next few weeks is we're going to look at the different illustrations God gives us in the Bible to explain to us what it means to be saved and how we are saved. And there's just a wonderful list of illustrations God uses trying to convey to us what he's done for us and made available for us in salvation. And so God describes salvation in these various ways throughout the scripture. He's trying to teach us the depth, breadth, and height of his love and his unspeakable gift of eternal life. In trying to define salvation, I love the character Noah Webster. Webster's Dictionary is famous. They still live off his name. But uh, back in the uh, 1800s, he had this dictionary that really changed the English language. And he was a believer. He was a Christian man, so he gives a lot of biblical insight into his dictionary as well. And my favorite is the Noah Webster 1828 Dictionary. But he says in that dictionary about salvation in theology, it's the redemption of man from the bondage of sin and the liability to eternal death and the conferring on him everlasting happiness. This is the great salvation. So in defining salvation, what it means, I mean, you could be saved from drowning, you could be saved from financial ruin, but the great salvation is eternal salvation. Being saved from an eternal penalty to now eternal happiness through the gospel. I mean, that's beautiful. Of all these beautiful illustrations, today we're going to discuss the most well-known illustration of saving grace. Some have called it the new birth. Some have called it the regeneration. But today I want to use the word conception. Because conception, we all think of conception, you know, the phrase life begins at conception. The, the birth of a child, the creation of a child. Uh, and one of the most beautiful ways God teaches us about what it means to be saved is that we can be born into the family of God. We can be God's children. Now, imagine that you could be born into God's family. Imagine if you lived in England and all of a sudden you just had the privilege to be born into the royal family. I mean, caretakers taking care of your every need, never having to mow the lawn, uh, never having to trim the shrubs. And man, they got shrubs over there, don't they? All shapes and sizes. Uh, I mean, never having to cook your own meals, never having a financial thought and a worry, having drivers drive. I mean, the privileges of being born to royalty. Well, my friend, God has birthed us. If we're saved, when we get saved, God births us into his royal family. And there's incredible privileges that come with that. But not just speaking about the the privileges and benefits that come with being birthed into a royal family. But I think of, of the relationship that conception teaches us. That God is our father. Think about that. You understand, for thousands of years, the Jews had great respect for Jehovah God, and they had many different names for him, but they never called him Father. They didn't understand God as Father. They accepted him as Creator, 
as Almighty God, as Jehovah the Self-Existent One, as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, as El Shaddai, God Almighty. I mean, we could go through the names of God. There were these beautiful Hebrew names that teach about the character of God and who He is, and yet they never called Him Father. But in Luke chapter 11, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you talk about this was a mental explosion in the minds of the disciples. We can call God Father? And all that, all that means the close relationship, the intimacy, the, the accessibility that a child has to a parent, I can have that with God? Oh, yes, and more, because salvation is beautiful. The phrase Heavenly Father is used six times in the Bible, and that's another sermon for another time. But here's one other phrase that I like one other verse about heavenly father Matthew 6:26 behold the fowls of the air for they sow not neither do they reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feedeth them are ye not much better than they he said look around creation the birds don't worry about where they're going to eat the flowers don't have to clothe themselves but wait a minute your father will take care of you much better than he takes care of them we have not only a relationship with God, we, we have this relationship of, of protection and provision and closeness. It's amazing what God has given us by way of salvation. But it's a privilege to call God our Father. I talk to some people and they'll say, well, God is all of our fathers by creation. And I have to correct them. No, by creation, God becomes your God. He doesn't become your father automatically just because you exist. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that there are two fathers. There are those whose father is the devil. Those are lost. Those aren't my words. That was Jesus that came out of the mouth of Jesus himself, John chapter 8. And then there are those who can call God father. Well, why do we get the privilege of calling God our father? Because you've been born into his family. You've been conceived as a new creature. You know, when I think about the birth of my children, what a special day that was. I was privileged to be at all of their births. Uh, they were in the room. And I talked to some of the older guys, and you guys weren't allowed in the room whenever your parents were being born, right? They'd kick you out, and put you over the side, and make you wait, and then they'll come and say, hey, this is what you had. Uh, but we had the privilege of being in the room. Matter of fact, for one of my kids, maybe two of them, I got to cut the cord, literally. And uh, I, got a, I got a fake doctor's degree right on my wall. You know, I, I feel all good about myself. Uh, one of those mail order things that, uh, no, but the doctor's like, do you want to cut the cord? I'm like, well, yeah. And, uh, you know, got to do that and be right there and got to see uh, my wife and, and her love and what she went through and see my children and got to greet my children. Matter of fact, my first child and my son, they put him on the little table to do the uh, little testing they do to make sure he's okay. And I stuck my finger out, and just as a, as a young baby, he just grabbed hold of my finger. And I thought, wow, this is my boy. And I was there for my children, my, my daughters, and each one so special, watching them be born, remembering the having the bag ready and 
it's time and you go to the hospital and go through all of the the uh, uh, waiting and the the labor and you ladies work hard while we're just trying to be supportive. I remember one time, I think it was my my first child. They had the TV on while we were in la- while my wife's in labor. And I'm watching like a game or something, and I wasn't really I wasn't trying to watch it. It just happened to be on, so I'm like all I'm like all paying attention. Then my attention would be drawn, and then I would my hand began to be squeezed with this superhuman strength. It was like my wife turned into the Incredible Hulk or something, and all of a sudden I'm just ah, she crumples my bones and and uh, she, don't watch the TV. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, can you turn that off? Because I'm going to get in trouble over here. I may not survive this birth. I remember one of my kids. They had the little. They had my wife hooked up to the machine, and it it uh, tells you when a contraction's coming. You know, they got the little leads on, and then you'll see on the machine this little uh, graph would start to climb, and and I'd be like, oh, oh, well, this is going to be a big one. And uh, after a few times of that, she's like, stop. Just, I don't want to know. I know know when they're here. I don't need the play-by-play, you know, because I'd be like, wow, that's the biggest one yet, you know. And uh, so she's like, please don't help me in that way. And so even with all of my mistakes, got to be there and love my wife through that and have the first precious moments with her and the, and the kids and there's just nothing nothing like the beauty of conception consider the the what happens when a child is born consider the beauty of creation is there anything more beautiful than the birth of a baby a new life that springs from nothing think about that there's nothing in the wife's womb and now all of a sudden there's a life which left alone will grow and not just grow into a mass of cells and not just grow into a, a fully functional human body, but a, a new life, a new being. There was nothing. And now there's life. The beauty of, of creation of this little conception. Think about the tiny body formed by a miracle of creation. And we say, oh, that's science. Science still hasn't figured out how all of that information is, is, is put into these few little cells. And whenever these two cells meet uh, in the womb, this miracle of life happens and it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes this fully functional human. It's a miracle of creation. I wasn't there to see the, the, the a sun spoken into existence. I wasn't there to see the earth created. I wasn't there to see God populate the earth by, by the word of his mouth. But let me tell you, I was there when all of a sudden there was nothing in my wife's belly. And the belly grew and the belly grew and the belly grew. And now nine months later, I've got a baby. That's a miracle. And I've even heard atheistic doctors slip up as they deliver a baby and say, Wow, look at this little miracle because how could you describe it as anything else the beauty of creation when it comes to conception but not do we have this little body not only do we have this little life but a never dying soul comes into existence as an act of almighty God there was nothing the spark of life happens And now that little being will never cease to exist. A billion years from now, 
that being will still be alive. It's beautiful. The beautiful beauty of creation in conception. And then I see the beauty of relation. Consider the beauty of relation. Not only do we have just the beauty of there was nothing, and now there's something And when a baby is born, but think about the relationships that begin to happen. A, a new life joins a family. And man, I remember when my wife and I, we, we had a, a, our first son, and we were living at the time in a Crown Point, Indiana, in a, uh, it was actually a two-car garage that had been nicely rebuilt by a carpenter, and, and it was only 24 by 24, one bedroom, one bathroom, little place, but man, it was it was wonderful. It was beautiful. We didn't need a lot of space. We wanted to be close together anyway. Amen. We just we'd only been married for a few years. We weren't trying to get away from each other like older folks do sometimes. You know, we wanted to be together. Thank God you you take three steps and you're in the the kitchen. You take two other steps, you're in the bathroom, the, the bedroom. We, we we wanted to be close, but we brought our baby home and into this family. And and now, boy, this this is a new relationship. But let me tell you, you can't take a nap when you want to. And you can't go to sleep when you want to. And you don't always get to eat when you want to. But there's a new life that comes in and wonderfully interrupts the family. Once a child enters the world, the parents are changed forever. One person said having a child is like living with your heart outside of your chest for the rest of your life. You're just never the same. I've got a baby. I've got three babies here on earth. I've got three babies in heaven. I'm a dad. That changes you. Makes you different. I have seen 90-year-old mothers worry for and scold their 70-year-old children. You never stop being a mom. Now, Sonny, you better stop that. You better not drive so fast. I know, Mom. I know. Here's a gray-headed man. You know, he's retired himself. He's gray-headed. His mom's like, you drove awful fast to the restaurant. You didn't use your blinker. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, I know, Mom. You're right. You're right. You know, I've been driving for 50 years, but you got me. Uh, you know, you just never stop being a parent. The love of a parent to a child is a special love that endures the tests of time. Relationships can get rocky. Life gets complicated. Tragedies come. Good people do dumb things. But the love remains. Why? Because of a conception. Because of a birth. Consider the fact that a mother visits the edge of death to bring forth life. A father greets the little one as soon as he's born from the womb. Consider the beauty of this relation, the immeasurable love of a mother. And you moms, I've never seen such love as I have with my wife and her children and her mom to her and my mom to me and so on and so forth. It just perpetuates. There's nothing like the love of a mother. I see the limitless care of a father working tirelessly to provide and protect. Think of the countless meals made, the innumerable talks, 
the incalculable support given over a lifetime. Do you see the beauty of conception? We see the beauty of the creation, the beauty of the relation, and then the beauty of the duration. This is a new relationship that will endure the rest of this life. You see, it's no wonder why God chose the beauty of a new birth to illustrate what happens to us when we get saved. That's how God feels about you. That's the care that He has for you. The love, the thinking. When God looks at a saved person, He doesn't see old Paul the saved sinner. He sees Paul my son. He sees you as His daughter. He loves you with a love that you cannot fathom. He probably thinks back to the day when you got saved. The moment that you were conceived. And I wonder if as a proud papa, he thinks back of those days, maybe when times get tough or he's, you know, as a dad has a rough day and he's at work and his body hurts and he's trying to figure it all out and how to pay the bills. And he thinks back to that beautiful day when his babies were born. That's how God looks at you. God looks at the day when you were born. The Bible says that when you're born again, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. The Bible doesn't say the angels rejoice. There was joy in the presence of the angels. Well, who are the angels in the presence of? They're in the presence of God. When someone gets saved, when someone believes the gospel and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God gets excited. I got a new baby. I've got a new child. They'll be with me forever. We'll never be separated. Oh, the beauty of salvation. I'll say three quick things and we'll be done. This idea, the beauty of salvation and conception you know when a baby's born there's unmatched love we talked about the love of a mother to a child the love of a father to a child there's unmatched the truth is i love all of you as they say down south i love all y'all that's that's the plural all y'all i love you guys that's what we say up here right just love you guys. I try, to, I try to be like proper, and it's not proper to call a girl a guy. But around here, it's like we just say you guys. And so take no offense. But uh, you guys, I had some family from another part of the country. They'd say yuns. Oh, yuns. What's yuns mean? Oh, it means y'all. What's y'all mean? Oh, it means you guys. So you get, how, you get all how it works. Um, truth is, I, I love you guys. I love all you guys. Uh, but there's a special love I have for my kids. And that's how God feels about you. There is an unmatched love. John 3.16, the famous verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I believe I would give my life for my children. If I had to, and it came down to me being able to save them by giving up my life, I think I'd do it in a heartbeat. It's just a special love. Now, if it was between me and you, I'll pray for you. Right? I'm gonna, I'll love you right to the end. I'll give you a beautiful funeral. I mean, people will love you. 
<laughs> you know, I want to say, and hopefully I'd die for others too. And I think hopefully I would. But with my kids, there's no question. With my wife, there's no question. In a heartbeat, without thought. Why? Because there's an unmatched love. People say, well, how could God die on the cross for me? It's that kind of love. That's how much He loves you. And I wish today that somehow you could sense the love of God. I wish that somehow you'd open your heart and realize that God loves you in a way you've never considered. He loves you in a way that is so special and so divine and so amazing. You've never been loved like He loves you. You'll never experience love like He loves you. But why would you close your heart? Why would you keep Him at arm's length? Why, why would you say, uh, harden yourself against that? Open yourself up to the love of God this morning. It's unmatched love. And he died for us. He gave his son. See, how could he give his son for me? Because the son loved you too. And it was the only way you could be saved. See, folks, there's no hope for you going to church enough to get to heaven. There's no hope for you saying enough prayers to get to heaven, doing enough good things to get to heaven. Galatians says, if you and I could be saved by any other way, then Christ is dead in vain. Why would, why would God go to the, all the trouble of the gospel plan, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, being uh, transformed and laying aside uh, part of Himself so that He could be born as a, as a baby in a manger and living uh, in, in a, a human body, a perfect little human body, and growing up on this planet and staying here and ministering and then living and dying on the cross and being judged of sinful men and hung to a cross with nails in His hands and His feet, hanging between heaven and earth. He cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Bible says that He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus lived and He died on the cross for our sins and He was buried and then three days later He rose again. Why in the world would God go to all that trouble if you could get saved by being good? Why would He go to all that trouble if you could get saved by being dunked in water or having some water splashed on your head as a baby? Why would He go to all that trouble? He wouldn't. There is simply no other way to be forgiven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't miss what He said next. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Some people see that as, oh, it's so exclusive. And you're putting your religion above everybody else's. And you're this and you're that. All they see is negativity. But when I see that and I hear that, I sense His love. He's the only way because there is no other way. I see an unmatched love. It's like you love your children. I love mine. I see an undeniable resemblance. You know, usually you can tell whose kids belong to who just by looking. You know why? There's a resemblance. You got the same DNA. And some kids, they just look like little mini-me's. They just look like little copies. I was somewhere public yesterday with the kids and and I saw, I was walking through a crowd, and I saw a young lady over here, and all of a sudden I was walking past, and I saw, oh, that's her mother. You know, it's just like, whoa. You know, you, even though they weren't standing next to each other, I'm in a big crowd, it's like, well, that's obvious that they belong together. Why? Because there's a resemblance. 
And sometimes families favor, children will favor one side of the family or the other. Sometimes they look like one parent more than the other. Sometimes they look like a mix of the two. But there's always a resemblance in look. Same color eyes, same color hair, facial features, body structure. But there's also a resemblance in manner. How do they eat? What do they eat? Uh, what, what do they do? What sports do they like? Uh, what do they talk about? What preferences do they have? It's amazing how much of that we get from our parents. Uh, when my wife and I got married, they ate meals that we never ate growing up. That was just what their family did. My family ate meals that, that they never ate. And so what would you do? We took the best of both worlds and put them together. Amen. I used to be skinny when I got married. Now look at me. This is what happens. But there is a, a, a resemblance. I had a, a few friends in college, and they were good people, but they're just a little odd. Do you ever have friends that, man, you love them with all of your heart, but it's like, dude, you're odd. You know, or, or wow, where did you get that? And then you meet their parents, it's like, oh, now I get it. No explanation needed. You know why? Because they resemble And let me say that when you're born again, the Bible says that you get a new nature and you begin to resemble your heavenly father. That's why we wholeheartedly reject this type of Christianity that says, well, God doesn't care how you live. God doesn't care what you do. No, my parents had rules for their house. And I when I broke them, which I plead the fifth, when I broke them, I got grounded. There were there were rules and the consequences what was okay in my friend's house, if I tried to get away with I'd get killed. Uh, but you know, there were rules, and there was a resemblance, and you begin to resemble the family. Let me say, whenever, whenever we get saved, we have this new nature that begins to resemble our Heavenly Father. And the process of sanctification begins to take place, and we begin to lay aside the old sins of this world. And there might be things you used to do that you don't want to do anymore. You don't have a taste for that anymore. You don't, you don't want to be a part of that anymore. Maybe your flesh is drawn to it, but there's a part of you that says, that disgusts me, and that abhors, I abhor that, and I hate myself when I do those things. And you begin to change. Why? Because you're starting to resemble your father. The longer you're saved, the more that resemblance begins to show out. But let me say something. If you if you claim to be saved, but you bear no resemblance to God. That's scary. That's scary. You're telling me some somebody as big as God can move in your life and nothing changes. I'm not talking about that. You can go through and be fruit inspectors and they're saved and they're not. And they're saved and they're not. And they're saved and they're not. We can't do that. But at the same time, we begin to resemble our Heavenly Father. I'm not the same man I used to be when I got saved. And I'm glad about that. There's an undeniable resemblance, an unmatched love. And let me say lastly, there's an unbreakable bond. An unbreakable bond. You know, I'm thankful for my mom. I knew my dad loved me, but circumstances didn't allow me to be as close to my dad as I wanted. And some of you face that. We've had people over the years whose parents are separated, whose mom has abandoned them, or whose dad isn't part of the picture, or 
Oh, you know, families get complicated, terribly complicated. And I had a good family growing up, but there were complications. I didn't get to see my dad like I wanted. He had a new family. There was a lot of pain and heartache and frustration and anger. But I knew my dad loved me. I just didn't get to have the relationship with him I wanted. He's been gone now for a few years, and I find myself every once in a while just out of the blue, boy, I just wish I could call him. And we probably talk twice a year, even as an adult. And I'm thankful for my mom, and she's just been there my whole life. Unbreakable bond. And I was not an easy child to raise. I don't know if you would believe that because I'm just so kind. And so I was not an easy child to raise. I mean, she tried everything with me. I got beat with everything in the house. Don't feel bad. I deserved it. I deserved deserved a lot more than I got. And every once in a while, she gave me a few extra. She's like, that's for the things you didn't get caught for. So, uh, I mean, I got my mouth washed out with every kind of soap you can imagine from in our house. If you cussed, you got your mouth washed out with soap. And I mean, uh, the the stuff that's supposed to be better for your skin, those tasted the worst. I mean, I'd rather eat lava than like Dove or Oil of Olay or something like that. I mean, that's awful. I remember one time I, I got in so much trouble, she took liquid soap and put it on my toothbrush. And I had to brush my teeth with it. And you say, that's, that's child abuse. No, it helped me clean up my mouth. If my words weren't clean, at least my mouth was clean. Amen. My teeth were spotless. Uh, I got grounded so many times. I mean, I, I counted it up one time. I was grounded for years of my teenage life. And I'm not joking. Years. Kept me out of a lot of trouble. Uh, she would cry, yell, holler, beg, plead. But she always loved me. I'm thankful for that. When I was unlovable, she loved me. When I made it hard on her to love me, she loved me. It's just unbreakable. And she'd say things like, you'll always be my child. I will always love you. I might kill you, but I will always love you. <clears throat> she didn't say that. But I saw it in her eyes. No. <laughs> you know, and whenever you get saved, my friend, there's an unbreakable bond. God's not trying to save you just so he can get rid of you again. Uh, you can't be born and then die and born and die and born and die. You're either born or you're dead. <clears throat> And so there's an unbreakable bond that happens with salvation. Let's look back to our text verse here. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. The Bible says, But as many as received him, that's talking about Jesus, to them, that's the them is those who received him, to them he gave power or authority to, to become the sons of God. Do you see that? See, when you believe the gospel, when you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God makes you his child. There is a 
conception that takes place. There's a new birth. If you read later over in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. There has to be a spiritual birth, not not another physical birth, but there has to be a spiritual birth. There has to be a spiritual conception in you. It's something that only God can do. That's what verse 13 says of John chapter 1, which were born not of the blood. This wasn't a physical birth, nor of the will of man. This isn't just a choice, nor of the will of, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a divine act. It's a divine act when someone gets saved, that whenever you put your faith in Jesus, God provides the spark of life and that, that, that beautiful transition of becoming a sinner to becoming a saint happens and, and that confirmation of, of where the, the sins of yours that were conferred on Jesus, when you trust Jesus now, His righteousness, His sinless perfection is conferred upon you and given to you. There is a, a, a conception, there's a birth, there's a moment when life happens. Just like in a mother's womb, there's nothing and now there's something. And, and whenever you're lost, you're dead, but whenever you put your faith in Jesus... All of a sudden something happens, the spark of life where you'll live forever. You're a child of God that will never change. And there's an unbreakable bond that happens at that moment. The bond of father and child. Look back at verse 12. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Just two things you have to do in this verse, as explained in this verse, you have to believe And you have to receive. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. Because you must believe that He is, He exists, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So you have to believe that He exists and that He will keep His word. You cannot please God unless you start with those two fundamentals. And the same holds true with salvation. You have to believe that he is. Listen, this crazy atheism that's on the rise. And folks, most of that atheistic stuff can be done away with in Sunday school. These these great questions and all of this and that. And it sounds so it sounds so high and so academic and so thoughtful and so philosophical. But yet you bring them down to the basic meaning of life and they stutter and stammer. Because it's all hollow, it's all empty, it's all smoke and mirrors. There is a God, and you know there's a God. But do you believe that He keeps His word? Oh, and He will. You see, the Bible says if you believe on Him, then you can be saved. John 3.16 talks about, He that believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you have to believe that He is, but wait. It's one thing to believe there's a God. I can believe in Jesus, but do I receive him? Do I accept him as my own? I can know you exist, but you may not be invited in my house. I got to open the door and let you in. Come in. And thus it is with Christ. You have to believe that he is and that he is the son of God. And of course, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried and rose again. But you have to invite him in. You have to accept him. You have to say, I want you to be my Savior. You're not just a Savior. You're Paul Chapman's Savior. You didn't just die for those sins. You died for my sins. You're just not going to take some people to heaven. You're going to take me to heaven. I want you to be my Savior. And I receive. And this morning, settling your eternal destiny is as simple as receiving and believing. I believe. But today... I receive you.
I want you to be my Savior. See, and while we look over this idea, the beauty of salvation, can you see the beauty of conception? Is it any wonder that God chose this beautiful parent-child relationship to teach us about salvation? I ask you a simple question today. Have you been born again? Has there been a time in your life when you've been saved? I mean, listen, well, I think so. That's not good enough. Well, I hope so. It's not good enough. You're you're hanging your eternal destiny on this one question. Have you been born again? Has there been a time in your life you've put your faith in Jesus? It costs you nothing but your pride. It costs God everything. Just like most children in this room, the young children listening to my voice, you have no idea the sacrifices your parents make to put food on the table, to put a roof over your head, to help you be warm and safe at night. And you parents, as, as you get older, it's, we begin to understand, my, my parents went through all this for me. You begin to realize how ungrateful we were, don't we? Man, I was an ungrateful child. I was an ungrateful teenager. This parenting stuff is hard. But I'm telling you right now that God went through more than you could possibly imagine so that I could invite you today to accept Christ. And you might say, oh yeah, whatever. Maybe I'll do that someday. Maybe I'll go to heaven. Do you have any idea what it costs the Father to make this possible? If you're not saved today, today's the day of salvation. Is God your heavenly Father? He could be. If you choose to accept Christ. Let me say to those of you who are saved, you say, preacher, I'm born again. Can I admonish all of us to stop, stop taking our salvation for granted? We just take it so much for granted. I mean, when's the last time your eyes got moist because God's your Father? When's the last time you stopped your life and you began to really be moved by the fact with what God did, what Jesus did to make salvation available? Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, what, what time are we getting out of here? What, what's, yeah, preacher, I've heard all this before. Preacher, these salvation messages, I'm already saved. I've got other things to do. There's something wrong with that kind of spirit. There's something wrong with that kind of heart. And Christians all over America are sitting fat and sassy in their salvation without ever giving a thought like spoiled, petulant children asking their parents for one more gift or toy without any thought of what it costs. May we never be those type of children to our Father. May we be moved by His sacrifice. May we be comforted by His love. May we sense the bond that we have and what's available to us. Let's glory in the salvation God's given us. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we come to You now. This is all about You. This is Your moment. I pray that you would glorify yourself through the message this morning and that hearts would be touched. Lord, save those that need saving. Encourage those that need encouraged. Strengthen those that need strengthened. Lift up those that are fallen under the burdens of life. Lord, bring us back gather us together this morning like children who's called over by a daddy and dad just gives him a hug just because mama just looks him in the eyeball and 
kisses him on the forehead and says, I love you. What's that for? Just because I love you. Lord, thank you for salvation. And thank you that salvation is not just clinical and mathematical, but it is beautiful. May we love you for it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We take just a moment at the end of our services to digest what's been said. What's God doing in your heart? Let's do this. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I'm, I believe there's been a time I've been saved. There's been a time I've been born again. I believe, according to the Scriptures, that if I were to die today, that I'd go to heaven because I've believed in Jesus. Heads are bowed, or eyes are closed. Would you just lift your hand and testimony to that? Preacher, I believe I'm saved. I believe there's been a time while I've been born again. Thank you. You may lower your hands. Some people couldn't raise their hands. I wonder if there's someone here today, you'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'd like to know. I'm just not sure. I'm not going to call you out, wouldn't embarrass you. Just between you, me, and the Lord, you say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Thank you. Christian, we've been given such incredible gifts, unspeakable gift of salvation. May we never take it for granted. Maybe even today you get alone in prayer and you crawl up into your father's lap and you just thank him for loving you. Thank him for saving you. Thank you for all of his gifts to you. May we worship because of our beautiful salvation. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. Christians may come forward to pray at the altar. They come kneel down here in the front and pray. If you're here and you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure whether you raised your hand or you didn't. We'd love to take a Bible in just a few minutes show you what the Bible says, how you can put your faith in Jesus. There'll be an opportunity for that too. If you've been saved but you haven't been baptized yet, uh, we are preparing for baptism. And so if you'd like to be baptized even this morning, we can make some room for you. And so you can come up and talk to me uh, while our heads are bowed, eyes are closed in just a moment. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open.